0: This podcast covers mature, intense, morbid, and sometimes just scary stuff. Listener discretion is advised. It's part two of our sit down with a former EMT who's sharing their past experiences. Welcome to 30 Morbid Minutes.
1: This is the podcast where we cover topics, people, places, ideas, and more of a morbid, macabre, dark, and downright grisly nature. I'm Elise Willems. I'm Jessica Vasami, and we have a guest joining
0: us again, I can't believe he agreed to do it a second time. (laughs) I know. He's like, oh God, these girls again?
1: Yeah. In case (laughs) you did not listen to it, uh, last week we did part one of our Sit Down with Sean, who is a former EMT. I always suggest go listening to that. Mm -hmm. before Mm -hmm. you listen to this episode. But in case you're like, I'm a rebel, Dottie, I'm not going to go back and listen to that one. (laughs) Um, Sean, for context, is a former EMT. He hasn't been practicing in about a decade, but he has all kinds of stories from the field and perspective on how difficult it can be to navigate a job where you're dealing with with death and life and death and all these really, really difficult um, decisions you have to make.
0: Yeah. And one of the things that I found really interesting is like, I know that I know all these different like titles, like a paramedic, an EMT, a nurse, a doctor, but I don't really know the differences between them. Mm -hmm. I love that he like got in there and like helped us understand kind of just the more, I wouldn't say like boring side of it, but just helping us understand like what all of these people do when it comes to helping us, saving our lives, et cetera.
1: Absolutely. um, To really put it all into perspective as well. Yeah, 100%. And also just to kind of um, break down like what they can actually do that the other can't. Yes. Puts into perspective like, oh, you know, a doctor, while very specialized and high level, maybe doesn't have that like on the ground knowledge an EMT has, Mm -hmm, which mm -hmm. is pretty fascinating.
0: Yeah. When he was talking about how they put in IVs all the time, like Mm -hmm. I'm sure a doctor could do it, but it is not something
1: that they do every day at all. You don't use it, you lose it. Yeah. Right.
0: So (laughs) it's, it's, it's interesting, you know, it is something to think about. I don't know.
1: He's been a a great guest and we're excited to ask him more questions. So let's take it away. Us. Us. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So we're back with Sean. Like, no time passed at all because we had so many, so many questions for him about formerly being an EMT. Thanks for coming back, Sean.
2: Oh, my pleasure. I had a blast. Uh, excited to continue the conversation.
0: I was I felt like I was running a marathon in the first one. I was like, I'm going to get to all these intense questions I want to ask you. And then we ran out of time. So now I'm buzzing.
2: I mean, when you're the hosts, that's the best part is if you run out of time, you just make more time, right?
1: I in which so. we so. That's yeah. why we have a part two right now. Yeah. Stay tuned for part three. Mate, who knows? (laughs) Who knows? What if we just. Sean's just like, oh, God. (laughs) The entire podcast just changes completely to become an an EMT uh, cast. Sean becomes one of the hosts. I'm not. I wouldn't be surprised. Wouldn't be surprised either. He's an articulate guy. He's got great stories. Voice for radio. He's got it all. And a face for radio, too. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Sean, last time on the show, you teased this story about being on an airplane and we never got to it. I feel like we need to just kick it off with that because otherwise we'll we'll forget it again. We'll never get to it. Yeah.
0: yeah, And between, you know, this time and our last time I watched the show Hijack on Apple TV and there was a point where they were like, is there a doctor on board? And I thought of you. And I was like, I still haven't heard this damn plane story. So I'm
1: very ready. Yeah. Well, sh- well, Sean, um, I watched Ambulance, Ants, the Michael Bay ambulance movie, <laughs> to, to oh, prepare uh, for, for this to talk to you. So
2: <laughs> honestly, we can just end the podcast already. <laughs> let's I'm just sure end you can right field the rest of
1: the, <laughs> the questions. About me. All right, let's hear it.
2: Okay. Okay. So the airplane story. So interestingly enough, I was I was probably more confused by everything that was going on than anybody else on the plane because this was I stopped practicing as an EMT almost ten years ago to the day uh, I don't remember the exact day when my license lapsed but I I haven't been in the game for a while mm-hmm. as the kids say so I'm not somebody that like goes out of their way to look for opportunities to you know jump in and get my adrenaline flowing again I'm not like driving around. <laughs> Looking for lives to save on my off days. So my uh, partner and I were flying back home from Austin, Texas. We were actually visiting some other lovely Rooster Teeth friends of ours. And on the way home, uh, we heard that sort of loudspeaker announcement that we've all heard on, you know, Mm -hmm. all sorts of pop culture places, TV movies. Everybody has heard that before where they say, you know, is there a doctor on the plane?
1: Which, like... I I I've never been in a situation where that's happened.
2: Yeah, I I never heard it either. I kind of thought they had just made it up. Yeah, but like such a obviously trope. obviously people need help on planes occasionally, right? That's a thing that just has to has to happen sometimes.
1: Yeah, Jess and I are more like: Is there an agent on the plane? Is there a talent manager <laughs> on the plane? You know, that's kind of where we're at. Is there? Uh, is there
2: an audio engineer? Yes. On plane? I really, <laughs> yeah, need, to, really need to get something recorded um, Is
0: Michael Bay yes. on the plane? Okay. <laughs> so
2: to paint the picture, uh, my partner was sitting in the middle seat. I had the window seat. She actually prefers the middle seat when we travel together. I'm not a monster. I would always offer her the window or the aisle if she preferred, but she really wanted the middle seat. And there was a woman, uh, in the aisle seat. So we hear this thing go off. I have my AirPods in. I think I'm listening to a podcast, probably 30 morbid minutes if we're being honest. <laughs> and, uh, I expect a kickback. <laughs> um, and I, I, I think that I hear an announcement, but I always tone out announcements on planes. Cause they're always just like, here's where the door is. If it goes down, I'm like, yeah, I've, I know where the door is. I've been on planes quite a bit. I know where the door is. And, uh, my, uh, my partner, uh, She kind of taps me on the shoulder and she says, you know, hey, I think they're looking for a medical person. And I was like, well, I sure hope they find one. (laughs) (laughs) Back to your
1: comic book,
2: because if I have to get into the mix, they are scraping the bottom of the barrel. Uh, And so but like I I kind of pause my podcast and I listen. And then sure enough, a few minutes later, they say, is there a doctor on the plane or a nurse or uh, a medical professional? We have a patient having a medical emergency. Uh, and then I sort of look around and I'm waiting and I'm waiting and I don't see anybody going and I'm like, frick, I think, I think it's me. I think it has to be me. And kind of quickly I run through my, my memory of, uh, what I remember the good Samaritan laws as. Cause my, at this point, my license has lapsed. I'm not covered by any sort of, uh, you know uh ins- like medical insurance that i used to have through uh the ambulance companies or anything that i worked for i was like if there's something crazy going on and i mess it up again i haven't done this in a very long time there's a there's a high likelihood that i can yeah, mess something you're up. a renegade um yeah i'm i'm uh i'm a ronin at this yeah, point you're off i'm book. a i'm a i'm a masterless mm-hmm. like totally under the table just freelancing uh and sh- so they they send the message out a third time and uh no joke. They say, is there a doctor or a nurse on board or a any EMTs, paramedics, firefighters, or school nurses? Whoa. And oh, they man. and I was like, okay, yeah. if they're if, if they're pulling in the school nurse who like <laughs> can't even give you aspirin.
1: Yeah. I'm yeah. I'm
2: all right. So I sort of undo my seatbelt and I'm like, all right, I'm gonna go. You know, and they say come meet us at the back of the plane. And so I head to the back of the plane. And as I'm going back, I actually see a gentleman from first class start heading towards the back of the plane as well. And I was like, all right, we're going to get there and we're going to compare credentials. And I'm probably going to sit back (laughs) down because he's in first (laughs) class. He's a doctor. He's something way higher, way, way better than me. Um, But sure enough, uh, he gets back there and he is an anesthesiologist uh, and he has some very interesting uh ideas about what is like the proper care to give uh the patient so without going into too much details because i want to spare this person uh any sort of like embarrassment or anything they've had a, they've had a medical crisis in the restroom it mm-hmm. wasn't related to like restroom bodily functions um but they were having some issues um like passing out, and then they were having like some chest pain, uh, which, you know, can be triggered by a whole bunch of things, and without a hospital to figure out what it is, I didn't wanna make any guesses. But it seemed, at least in my estimation, like this person had had their very first panic attack, which if you've never had an actual panic attack, it feels a lot like what heart attacks are depicted like in pop culture. You have chest pain, you get sweaty, you get nauseous, and I'm like, I I, I do strongly think this person's having a panic attack, which is, it's an important medical emergency, but not like a we need to land the plane sort of mm-hmm. one. They were breathing, their heart rate was fine, and so the anesthesiologist was he was really focused on for some reason that this that this person was feeling a little bit nauseous, and he said, "Oh, I have some some Zofran in my bag," and I was very confused because. Zofran while it is an anti-emetic drug that can help suppress uh you know nausea and stomach pain if i was an anesthesiologist i certainly wouldn't just randomly like without being able to do a proper diagnosis i wouldn't just start randomly giving a stranger drugs yeah. out of my bag
1: you don't know what else they're taking when it might interact or conflict with correct
2: yeah yeah and and uh this patient was awake and could sort of give out a lot of information about themselves you know so if there were a drug yeah. conflict hopefully they'd be hopefully they would be like a reliable um narrator
1: so did did you intervene and say like sit down Cavorkian? you know 100 percent,
2: 100 percent. i was like you can go back down to first class and sit there and twiddle your thumbs and enjoy your your martini or whatever mm-hmm. it is so we uh he actually does leave the anesthesiologist goes and sits back down and there's actually there is a lot of uh misconceptions where a lot of doctors tend to have the dunning kruger effect where they think that they can easily handle like a pre-hospital emergency because they're a doctor, they're like, well, I'm so much higher level of a care provider than the the EMS folks that show up, you know, the EMTs and Mm -hmm. the paramedics. There's actually been a lot of studies done that show that doctors are much more likely to miss a lot of the basics because most of the basics are handled before a patient ever gets to a hospital, right? They're not looking for, they're not looking for a large bleed because the bleed has been stopped before they get there. Like doctors don't even know how to start IVs because they don't, like they do it once in medical school and then they have nurses and people to do it for them. So a lot of the really basic interventions, which are the ones that usually tend to save people's lives, those can get missed by doctors because they get really in the weeds medically, um, you know, thinking about the more nuanced parts of practicing medicine and healthcare. care. Uh, no shade on doctors. They're just if you broke your leg, you wouldn't want a doctor to run over and splint mm-hmm. it. You would want an EMT or a paramedic to come do it because they do it every it's day. Good to know.
0: OK. Yeah, that is good to know. <laughs>
2: um. So I asked the doctor to go sit down. He does. I sit with this woman. I ask them if they have a first aid kit, you know, because I would love to get a blood pressure and I don't have a BP cuff and a stethoscope and all the stuff you need to do that on me. And the plane crew is actually really uh, it was interesting. I, I guess if they get the first aid kit out, there's a whole protocol that starts. Paperwork. And they kind of they kind of seemed reticent at first to do it. They had basically implied that by by me asking for the first aid kit like oh if we get that out it's got to be it's going to be a whole thing and then we're going to have to have ems like meet us on the tarmac and then she and i was like cool yeah do that i i would much rather you have to do a little bit of paperwork and everybody sits in their seat on the plane for a couple minutes and make sure that this lady's going to be okay um so uh yeah it, it honestly it it wasn't a terribly eventful flight i ended up just sitting next to this woman and uh just kind of helping calm her down, explaining her like, hey, you know, until you get checked out by a doctor, nothing I say is, you know, I, I'm I'm an EMT and I haven't been practicing EMT in a long time, but this looks like a lot like all of the uh, panic and anxiety yeah, attacks pretty that I've textbook. seen. Yeah. and And I was like, listen, I know that it might feel like you're, you know, having a heart attack because you've watched a lot of films where people have heart attacks and they describe it just like this. But you have. None of the, none of the major signs and symptoms, like, um, when somebody's having what we call like an MI, you know, a myocardial infarction, one of the, one of the really bad kinds of heart attacks, they have, um, a grouping of symptoms, which we call pale, cool diaphoresis. So they, their skin gets pale, they get cool to the touch and they start to get really, really clammy. And she didn't have that sort Mm -hmm. of pale, cool diaphoresis. So that's usually, especially in a younger person, you would expect to see that if there were, um, if there were like a, a ST elevated MI. So I'm, at, you know, nothing's conclusive without like a 12 lead EKG. So I'm, I wasn't trying to play like armchair EMT, but all the things that would make me think STEMI that you can diagnose with your eyes, like weren't there. So assuming it wasn't a heart attack, I was like, I'm just gonna calm this lady down. They're not gonna burn you on the plane for a panic attack. And I just sat with her, made sure all of her belongings were gathered so that when the paramedics come on board the plane to wheel her off, she doesn't lose her phone and her laptop and all that stuff. And yeah, it was pretty uneventful. And then as the plane landed, I got off the plane. You're
1: like, you're like, and then they were like, can anybody land this plane? <laughs> Do we have any pilots or flight attendants or EM, former EMTs on board? And you were like, well, I guess I got to go again. <laughs> uh, the
2: the best part of that story is if you hear it from uh, my partner's perspective, because in her mind, I'm doing CPR yeah. on like a gunshot <laughs> yeah. wound victim in the back of the plane, because they made a they made a point when we were boarding that it was a full flight, no open seats. Mm-hmm. They're like, you know, mm-hmm. make sure make sure your coat's not in the overhead compartment. Like we were we're really strapped for space. We need everybody to to pitch in and do what they can here to try to maximize space. So she's like, there's no open seats in the back of the plane, and he hasn't come back to sit down for landing. Uh. You know how. You know how specific they get when, yeah. like, hey, the plane's landing. You have to be in your seat. You have to be buckled in. She's like, well, if he's not in his seat, what's yeah, going on? Someone's dead back there. Dead he's, back there. He's, he's holding somebody's head attached to their body. got yeah. cut, <laughs> cut off or something. Something crazy. Um, and then, so when, and she actually never saw the doctor go back and sit down. She thinks there's, like, two rescuers CPR going down on the floor of the plane. Yeah. But what actually happened was one of the flight attendants who was sitting down in a passenger seat stood up and just, uh I took her seat next to the patient. They moved us around. But uh, she felt like a hero when she got off the plane because everybody's like, oh, is your is your boyfriend a doctor? Is he? a?" <laughs> yeah.
1: Did you get laid after? No comment. He doesn't talk about the cases and he doesn't kiss and tell. OK, that's how we know Sean's a good guy. All right. <laughs> He's a professional. Uh,
2: the airline did give me a two hundred fifty dollar voucher for a future flight. Oh, damn. Actually.
0: Oh, yeah. that's great they like That's take nice. down they
2: like take down your information afterwards and they say hey we want to thank you for stepping up to the plate and i was like what you should do is properly train all your staff for medical emergencies so you don't have to pull this dusty old emt out of retirement
0: <laughs> yeah cuz i feel like that hap- i mean the, the mere fact that i know that you said Elise, that you haven't been on a plane the the actually the last plane that i was well, no, on no i've been on a plane like... no i mean that this happened where somebody <laughs> well, she's asked she's seen daughter. a plane she's seen a plane before <laughs> she's seen it yeah no, but I was on one recently that you know they were like, "Is there a is there a doctor on board?" And I see this guy walk to the back. I think this guy m- might have been having like a heart attack. I'm not really sure, but um, it yeah, it it happens, and it's just like, well, what are you what are your what's your staff doing? I don't know. I don't know what they're trained in. Uh, I know that they can't also be like flight attendants and also be an EMT and doctor. So yeah, I'm I'm well, curious. I mean, I'm
1: thinking now maybe the next time I'm on a plane, I just. Walk up to a flight attendant and say, Hey, by the way, I'm a doctor in case you need any. Like, <laughs> we're getting getting these credits. Yeah. Yeah. You know, flights are yeah. more expensive than that.
2: What's the risk? I mean, it's all upside the way I see
0: it. <laughs> hey, that's true. And honestly, if that were to happen, if something were to happen, at least just call Sean mm-hmm. mid flight and be like, Tell me what to do right yeah. now. And then you get the voucher. I'll come on the plane you phone. Know,
1: so, <laughs> just the they plane used phone. <laughs> to <have those> plane <laughs> um, yeah. So that, uh, I mean, that's, that's a great story and definitely one that I feel like didn't end in something horribly morbid also, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is No, good.
0: but at the same time, because you have experience in this, I feel like, and I don't know whether you like this or not, it's just that that will always kind of follow you. So if there's yeah. like a big, you know, you're at a restaurant and somebody's like, is there a doctor here? I don't know. Like, I don't know if you're going to be the one that has to always step up and I'm, I'm either sorry or not sorry. Do you? I, <laughs> yeah.
2: I think I always will step up if nobody else does, but because I haven't been practicing in mm-hmm. so long, I would always rather if somebody's rare raring to go, I'm going to let them unless like that anesthesiologist. They made me scared for the patient outcome.
1: Sure. OK, absolutely. Yeah. I know there are so many other factors in play, but would you say that your mental health has improved since no longer being working in that field or did it, did it make a difference?
2: Oh, that's a great question. Um, My gut reaction is that I believe my mental health has drastically improved since I've left that field. Uh, and it, not in the ways you might necessarily expect. Uh, I was never somebody who sort of brought the work home with me, even after I think there's maybe two or three calls over my career that were. Uh, graphic enough or disturbing enough that I can kind of still like vividly remember them as they happen everything else was just water off a duck's back you know like broken legs gunshot wounds like even like a couple fatalities that are just well hang on
1: a second (laughs) because I feel like I do feel like the there's a scaling that applies to it because if you're talking about it and you're like gunshot wound you know why like like Yeah, my ears perked
0: up there, too. I'm like,
1: yeah, I feel like I feel like you're there was a desensitization to it, I guess. If that's if that's to you, like a nothing sort of incident. Right. Oh, for sure. And
2: I think that that's that's a healthy defense mechanism that somebody who deals with that sort of subject matter on a day to day basis needs to build up for themselves. Mm -hmm. But I think you'd be hard pressed to find an EMT that could, you know, recall the details of every You know, every trauma call that they've been on, especially when you've when you did it long enough to have seen a lot of trauma. Right. If you're if you're a volunteer firefighter in a town of 2000 that gets one gunshot victim every six years, you're going to remember the one gunshot wound that you saw. If you've Mm -hmm. seen 50, they do all sort of blend together.
1: Mm, That makes sense. Jess had a had a really interesting question that she didn't get to ask you last time. I have a lot. Just I'm had a lot of interesting right now. questions. Yeah. yeah. I don't know which one to ask. Well, well, one particular one, the, the views on the, you know, S day oh, on, and afterlife yes. day.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> my pig yes, Latin. though. So, I was like, there's the so ghost. many.
0: So, but yeah, let's, let's get to that one. Um, yeah. My initial thought when Elisa that you were going to do an episode with us was like, I just, I want to know your thoughts on um, death basically, because you've, been around death before and been around such like hurt and pain in the world, Um, you've had to see it firsthand. And I just want to know, has your kind of worldview shifted in regards to just humanity as a whole? I know this is a giant question and also your views on
1: death and an afterlife. And we're going to hear the answer to this question from Sean right after a word from our sponsors. Elise here. We are officially heading into the holidays. And if like me, you have a hard time finding the perfect gift for the loved ones in your life, let me tell you, we have the secret weapon for you right here. The place where you will buy gifts from that will have people asking, oh, where did you get that? And that is Uncommon Goods. Uncommon Goods does all of the scouring, the searching for you. They curate these remarkable and truly unique gifts that serve the true purpose of the season, which is impressing the people in your life who you care about. They're great for finding that perfect, unusual gift, whether it's for your family or just your secret Santa. You're also supporting artists and small independent businesses when you shop there because, yes, They have original and unique goods, high quality, handmade as well, and just out of the ordinary, which if you're listening to this podcast, I can tell you like stuff that is out of the ordinary. And believe me, you will find it at Uncommon Goods. Just a few things from the website (laughs) that you can check out. A plant eater giraffe sculpture. Uh, It was never a dress desktop spinner. National Park Constellation reveal mug. Like these are just they're all things that are just so uncanny and cool and kooky and weird that you won't find anywhere else. Um I am a big big fan because I feel like you shop everywhere now and you say this you see the same stuff everywhere so having a place that curates you fun original items that you're not going to see at your local department store that is uncommon goods and that's what makes them so special. Um, Whether it's art, jewelry, kitchen, bar, home goods, they even allow personalization on a lot of the gifts, which makes it even more special. Plus, with every purchase, they give $1 to a nonprofit of your choice. So you're kind of giving twice in that respect. To get 15% off your next gift, go to uncommongoods.com slash 30mm. That's uncommongoods.com slash 30mm for 15% off Don't miss out on this limited time offer. Uncommon Goods, we're all out of the ordinary.
2: What a great product and or service that we just heard about.
1: (laughs) Wasn't it though? It was. It was. And I'm sure our lovely sponsors are also waiting with bated breath to hear the answers to the question just asked uh, of you from Jessica about your views on death in the afterlife
2: yeah i'll just dive right in i think that my time as an emt likely influenced my thoughts on death and afterlife my outlook for the human condition in general it's a pretty heavy question Um, it is so i I guess i guess let's try no it's classic that's classic 30 more minutes (laughs) Mm -hmm. if we are (laughs) being honest okay so I don't believe in an afterlife. I basically never have. So that much hasn't changed. I was raised, and I'm using air quotes here for the viewers at home. I was raised uh, Catholic, but was never a believer. I did it because everybody did it that I was raised with, um, but never really believed in it. I've never really uh, thought much about death other than the lights go out Uh, and Nothing that I saw in my time dealing with, you know, pain, trauma and death professionally for quite a few years has changed that. Um, I would have had to see something pretty spectacular or miraculous to, you know, make me believe that there was a higher power or life after death or something like that. Similarly
1: to that, did it did it reaffirm? Did any experience reaffirm to you like this is it?
2: I mean, kind of in the way where one of the most common refutations of a higher power, uh, I'll just use God as a general catch-all for religion and belief in the afterlife and higher power in general. One of the common refutations you see for people who kind of want want to put the idea of of God at arm's length is they'll point to like childhood cancers and all these Mm. awful things that happen to people who haven't been able to live, you know, a full healthy life. And they'll sort of ask the, you know, the the question is how could god let this happen and i certainly saw a lot more stuff in a much more uh in your face first person experiential way that that definitely made me ask you know how could god let this kid die how could god let Mm -hmm. um the parents die and leave these kids um orphaned so i saw a lot more of the stuff that is ammunition for those sort of talking points and that sort of refutation of if there is a higher power that's looking out for people's best interests why is it killing children why is it killing innocent people why is it snuffing out you know these really bright sparks who just you know it, it clearly wasn't their time they clearly couldn't have done anything that was just so egregious. Of it. Yeah, yeah exactly mm-hmm. so in a lot of ways i guess just because i was that that sort of experience was so front and center for me for so long i think that's a that's a big part of why that was further cemented in my mind
1: you ever get to drive the ambulance
2: oh yeah we trade (laughs) off every every call i'm
1: just trying to trying to lighten the mood here a little bit (laughs) (laughs)
2: um the best part about driving the ambulance is getting to operate the wee woos there's Ah! a whole bunch of buttons and they all do different things and it's so fun
1: and you call yeah. them wee woos
2: uh, I do. I don't, <laughs> don't believe that that's an industry yeah, standard term. Yeah, a professional
1: term. terminology. Yeah, sirens. Well, you have to get yeah. your
2: you, you have to get at least an associate's in wee mm-hmm. before you. <laughs> you know what? A- having said the word wee wooology out loud, I now demand that you both try it out. It's funny. It, fun it also
1: sounds like what Waluigi would teach at his university. <laughs> We we
2: willology we- we- um we, we-, 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 yeah. we-, we- I feel like we're in blah 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 it's blah, blah blah territory oh <laughs>
1: uh, I, I i think it's so um real, obviously, like what you're saying about your views on death because i for me, if I had to put myself in your shoes, I would feel like I'm not in a place where I'm seeing much that's very life affirming mm-hmm. necessarily, and I don't know if that's. You feel differently about that, where you feel like actually you did see, experience things where you saw hope or you saw, to me, it seems like a kind of bleak profession. I think it says a lot about who you are that you were able to put aside your own emotions and do that job.
2: Yeah. So I think what's interesting is that my reaction to sort of experiencing trauma and death was. It made me feel the preciousness of life a little bit more coherently in my everyday uh, existence in that when you've seen it snuffed out, then when you get to see it in person and experience it, it's much more vivid, I guess.
1: Mm-hmm. I
2: think when you've seen people die and you've watched it happen, either, you know, I, told the story in the first episode about the first death that I had in the ambulance where Mm -hmm. um, the patient had a do not resuscitate order. God, yeah. So that was kind of harrowing to watch somebody slip away and do nothing about it intentionally versus fight really hard and not be able to prevent it.
0: Yeah, Um, I feel like it goes against just who we are as humans in order to like survive and to keep those around us alive. So hard. You'd
2: think so. Uh, There's a lot of most people's reactions to seeing an emergency is to run away uh sometimes people pull their phones out and record it. oh my God occasionally people will call nine one one uh there's a There's a huge issue where everybody always assumes somebody has called nine one one so I think my I think my PSA for this episode is if you see something somebody should call 911 about, you should call 911 about it and don't assume somebody else has.
0: Good to um, know. Good to know. Okay. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Um, I feel
1: like that should be just the default reaction.
0: But you're but he, it it is true that like if you already see people on the scene, you might automatic, automatically think somebody's already called 911, but maybe they and, haven't. Uh,
2: and I think in the social media age, if you see a car on its roof in an intersection and twenty people have their phones in their hands, you're Jeez. like, one of these, one of these must have nine one one open and not and not TikTok, yeah. right?
0: that is something that's in- insane to me that you just said. Which I, you know, we see it on social media all the time. But that somebody's first reaction is to get out their phone and record it. That is just not in any way mine. My first reaction is to I have to record this. It's like, it's crazy that that's where we are now. Anyway, well,
2: but but Jess, <laughs> think about the likes. <laughs>
0: yeah i'm but that's what i'm not
1: thinking about <laughs> but you're right i guess i need to i would i uh. would be more like to me and maybe it's just the the circles I, i'm in or whatever but i would feel like i would just be completely maligned for posting something like that mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. that other people yeah. are like oh i should take advantage of this and post someone's yeah. worst moment i don't i don't get
2: Yeah, can't help you. It's not a it's not an instinct I've ever had, Mm -hmm. but I've
1: certainly seen it a lot. Can you stop performing CPR? Like, do you need to keep performing CPR until the person gets to like, I don't know if we if we really got to the bottom of this last episode explicitly, but like, can you pronounce someone dead? Can you stop performing CPR? Do you just have to keep going until you get to the hospital?
2: The answer is it depends. Uh. Remember, first episode, I talked a lot about how there's varying, wildly varying state city Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm, protocols. mm -hmm. Um, Many of the areas in which I've practiced do have protocols for uh, cessation of of, uh, resuscitative efforts, which just means you can stop trying to save somebody's life. Um, Like a lot of times uh, the protocol will state very candidly, you know, if there are injuries that, you know, are... uh, very indicative that life is not sustainable you don't have to start resuscitative efforts in the event of decapitation um you know incineration like if you if, if um there's gross dismemberment like uh not gross as in icky gross as in like large no, I know what uh, yep. if there's uh if there's oh there are reasons that you can say yeah we didn't try to save this person um there are also many places have protocols that just say rescuer fatigue is enough of a reason to stop resuscitative efforts. Um, That's obviously up to the individual rescuer. Um, I've certainly seen times where uh, you've shown up and somebody has been doing CPR for a very long time, clearly by themselves. And they're so fatigued that you can tell that they're not actually doing good CPR Mm -hmm. anymore. And, it like they probably should have stopped a long time ago because they're just making themselves more exhausted and they're not actually you know doing chest compressions deep enough to help mm-hmm. uh c- uh circulation um so yeah there are there are reasons that can exist in the protocol space in which emergency medicine operates, where either you don't have to start c p r or you can halt c p r that's different than pronouncing somebody's dead uh but you know if your protocol says you can halt resuscitative efforts um after rescuer fatigue sets in then you're not pronouncing them dead you're just saying hey i'm literally too exhausted to do chest compressions anymore so i'm going to stop uh that t- that typically only happens in incredibly rural areas because you know you can always tap in somebody else you'll usually only have to do chest compressions for a couple minutes before other first responders show up on the scene if you're anywhere uh. even remotely suburban or urban um so that's super unlikely you typically only see that with like Um, like ski patrol EMTs and stuff can have to deal with that a lot if they're up on a mountain somewhere or they're doing like wilderness rescue. Um, But yeah.
1: So is it a part of the code to prioritize your own safety and well-being above the patient still or like don't do anything that could put you in jeopardy?
2: Oh, I mean, rule number one that they teach you in any EMT class worth their salt is don't become a patient. And there's a lot of like catchy terms that the different programs will use, like uh, the school I went to, they said, arrive alive, do no harm, which is just like, the, so the, the, the first thing you have to do is like, don't crash the ambulance, right? Don't crash the ambulance because A, you might not arrive alive, and B, you might create more patients on your way if you get into a car accident. So uh, rescuer safety is literally the number one thing. When you're doing your practical examinations to complete your uh, EMT certificate, the first thing you have to do when you are, So normally what happens is you show up and there's either a dummy or a person playing dead on the ground or unconscious or whatever. And there's an instructor and you just kind of narrate what you would do. And the first words out of your mouth have to be BLS, uh, you know, like uh, PPI or PPE, you know, um, which is like, hey, show up, make sure that you're safe. uh, And then you have to like audibly say to your preceptor that you check for scene safety. And if you don't do that, you fail automatically because like that's how seriously they take it there could be water on the ground through which like an active electric current is running there could be you know if it's Jeez, a gunshot yeah. wound and police aren't on site you can't verify the shooter has actually left it's um, like a video
1: game level yeah <laughs> what the fuck
2: there's there's a major problem when responding not a major problem uh, but in in a lot of cities specifically where there's high gun high incidences of gun violence a lot of emergency responders specifically like EMTs will wear bulletproof vests because if you're first on scene to a gunshot victim and you start trying to save that person from dying, chances are whoever shot them won't take kindly to you trying to bring back the person they're actively trying to kill. So there are incidences where EMTs and paramedics have been shot wow. at by the person who shot the person that they were trying to save. Oh my gosh! I've- I was
0: going um, to ask you this earlier when you brought up gunshot wounds, but I can't believe, yeah, I guess this makes sense. And yeah, that, that never occurred to me,
1: though, that that might be yeah. a thing you'd have to do
2: oh yeah yeah Deal if, with, geez. if there's a gunshot wound victim ems will typically not uh will typically not start treating the patient until police have verified that like the scene is like secured and they're and they're pretty confident that the shooter is not currently He's, present
1: maybe this is a lot more like michael bay's am than we yeah. initially thought then. yeah
0: michael bay man he
1: knew he kind of knew i guess yeah
0: I do have one more question that's like another big question. Um, You might have already told it to us without even knowing that you answered it. But if there's like one piece of advice or maybe not even advice, but just something that you'd kind of want everybody to think about after listening to this episode, whether that is, hey, anytime you are on the scene and you see other people around you, call 911 in case nobody else did. Or I don't know take each day as it comes because you only live once because you have seen so much death. But is, is there like one thing that you'd kind of like want to leave everybody listening? That's a great question. Uh,
2: I think you certainly just highlighted two big ones. Uh, Mm -hmm. number one being, you know, if you see an emergency, don't assume somebody else is called 911. Uh, that can, those, those first few moments can be really, really important. Um, And making sure that trained professionals can get there as soon as possible is really, really critical. Um, Certainly depending on the nature of the medical emergency, uh, more important in a lot of cases than others. Um, And yeah, I mean, uh, I don't remember if I'd mentioned this in episode one or not, but I'm recently a father uh, of twins. Mm -hmm. And in a lot of ways, that's kind of changed my whole perspective on things. Um, When it's just you or like, You and a partner, uh, it's really easy to get lost in the day to day stuff. You know, you're thinking about paying bills and you're thinking about what are we going to have for dinner and doing chores and you're thinking about going to work and all that stuff. And, you know, having seen so much sort of like trauma and death and then having kids for the first few weeks, I was absolutely terrified because I was thinking about. You know, we would every time we drove through a four way intersection, I would have, you know, flashbacks to every nasty motor vehicle collision I've ever seen in a four way intersection. So my light would turn green and I would wait for 10 seconds to make sure that the semi truck that was about to come barreling through didn't hit me and my family. Mm -hmm. Right. And I was very, very paranoid about it a lot of ways, I think I'll probably carry a little bit of that p- paranoia with me, which for better or for worse will make me a safe dad, but maybe not a, a fun dad. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. b- but I think after that initial terror and shock of I'm responsible for making sure that all of these ways I've seen kill and hurt children don't kill or hurt my kids. So I was very paranoid at, th- at the start. But now in a lot of ways, I think it's just made me really appreciate all the little moments a lot more because when you've seen sort of how, how tenuous life can be, mm-hmm. it does make you really appreciate it much more in the moment. So I think I've been very, uh, intentionally present, uh, oh. as, as a parent of newborns and I, and I hope I at least never lose that.
0: That's great. You got me kind of emotional yeah. just cause yeah, that's such a big thing that everybody, I feel like every day, we're trying to always get back to just being present and taking whatever this life is, whether there's an afterlife or not, whatever it is, us living every day is some sort of awesome thing.
1: And just to, I don't know, it's a gift. Be grateful so. for it. Yeah, and that's such a Be grateful. great perspective to have. Hmm. Hmm. Um, I'm always very careful when Jessica's in my care. Driving her somewhere, <laughs> um, taking her out. No, no, For she's what? lying. <laughs> <laughs> letting her run around. She's lying. I'm always very, very care- careful of her. No, mindful I banged of her. my head the other day. Um, no. no. <laughs> At least you let her bang her head. <laughs> I would not. I'm, of course, referring to baby Jessica, which is when I she die and me. I will be reincarnated as Jessica's child. This is a whole lore <laughs> we've had going on this podcast, Sean. But in, jokes aside, though, I... I think you you are a great person. I love you. I think you're fantastic. And you have such a really, really thoughtful perspective on life and um and uh I think you are shaped because you are who you are, but I think that probably your experiences in EMT very much contributed to that. So I'm glad you you were it. <laughs> Long yeah. story short. I share what Elise said. I don't know you
0: that well, Sean, but now I feel like I do because we, we got deep real quick. Yeah. And I appreciate to. that. And I hope one day when I come to LA or you come to Austin, you know, we meet and can can swap stories. Maybe I'll have another airplane story that I can tell you about. And then this time I play the doctor and I just say at the end, I'm an actor. This is what I saw on TV. <laughs> <laughs> this is what Sean said that he did. I do it too.
2: The, uh, the alternative is you can stay at a, uh, Holiday and Express, and you're basically equipped.
1: <laughs> awesome. Oh, well, thank you so much, Sean, for coming and chatting with us again. I know. Oh, of two. course. It was a
2: blast. Thank you so much for having me. It's great. Again, yeah. it's, it's really fun to sort of travel down memory lane and remember a lot of these things.
0: We'll bring you on for another episode where we talk about what it's like to take care of two twin kids. So... It'll just kind of give us stories.
1: Yeah. I think as Jessica and I do not have children, probably the most terrifying mm-hmm. thing we it's could. It's very both think terrifying.
0: hmm We'll uh, bring you on for that. <laughs> it's just like, what? <laughs> I
2: don't I don't know that I'm a subject matter expert just yet. <laughs> I'm only two months into it, but I'm happy to to share at least that experience.
1: <laughs> well, that's the end of our chat with Sean. I still feel like I have more questions and I want to know more stories that he has. I may, I don't know if it just
0: needs to be like us sitting on his couch, drinking a <laughs> couple of bottle of wines, yeah. bo- bottles of wine. Sorry. Am I drunk? Um, but no, but I mean, I have to say like, I loved that he got vulnerable with us mm-hmm. um, and asking some of those like tougher questions, but it was really fascinating to hear his answers after seeing what he saw, because we don't have the same perspective as him. We have not seen no. nor been around yes. as much of the pain and death as he has.
1: We're little innocent babies, <laughs> we're big yes. babies, Jessica. On this podcast, well, babies. We, we think really we're are. hardcore because we talk about death. We're not.
0: <laughs> nope. I go home every single time after this podcast
1: and I cry. <laughs> I just cry and shake. <laughs> Well, I feel like Sean has more stories that could fill 10 episodes. So like if these do really well and people are clamoring for it, we can always bring them back. Could always bring them
0: back. And also, this was our first experience with bringing on a guest. And mm-hmm. although, you know, it's not the crux of our podcast, I think Elise and I are
1: open to bringing in other guests in the future. So I don't know. Let us know. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's also nice to get outside of this echo chamber of stupidity for a while. <laughs> you know (laughs) oh man do i know yeah (laughs) and more so i'm talking about my own self not you (laughs) me me it's all me um so yeah thank you sean for coming and talking with us and i hope everybody enjoyed it uh we appreciate you all so much for listening to the podcast reviewing it leaving your reviews telling your friends about it it really helps thank you Yes. And and as always, follow
0: us on TikTok. We're we're putting a lot of good stuff out there. A lot of good just like little tidbits that you
1: can, you know, kind of pass along to your friend. Mm-hmm. Also
0: sharing just the podcast and journals. Well, they like yes. the TikTok.
1: They can actually listen to the full episode. And we cannot Hammer this home enough. It's it's happening, people. It's impending. We are talking about the Blob, nineteen eighty eight. Next week in our episode, we're doing if you.
0: You always talk about it in this way. It just, I just crack up because you're like, it's <laughs> happening. It's, this epic the it's Blob It's like WrestleMania is, or some shit. The
1: blobbing is upon <laughs> us. It's next week. We are reviewing <laughs> and revisiting the nineteen eighty eight classic question mark the Blob, <laughs> and I could not be more excited. I think it's going to go off the chain.
0: No, it's funny because like you haven't seen it, obviously. The last time I see it, I I don't know, I was a child, a child. So (laughs) I haven't seen it since. So there's probably going to be, I could be super embarrassed by recommending this because I could watch it again as a 35 year old adult
1: and then be like, I should. What was I thinking as a seven year old? (laughs) (laughs) I'm excited. I could not be more excited.
0: So thank you, Jessica,
1: for making this a part of our lives.
0: Uh, You're welcome. Mm -hmm. You're welcome. And uh, subscribe to FIRST um, on roosterteeth.com. It really um, helps us. It directly helps us and our podcast. We have a lot of uh, awesome perks that you wouldn't otherwise get if you weren't a FIRST member.
1: It's our exclusive membership, Mm -hmm. uh, monthly membership, where we give you tons of cool benefits. There's exclusive content you can check out, not just from us, but from across all the brands at Rooster Teeth. But yeah. it does support Thirty More bid directly if you join it. Mm-hmm.
0: If you want to hear more of the stupidity, you know yes. that's that's where you can really <laughs> yeah. get it. Yeah,
1: <laughs> that's ground zero. Also, check out our merch too. It, it supports us by buying it. But I also think that we have been really careful to curate cool stuff.
0: I hope. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh for mm-hmm. sure. And especially, you know, Spooky Season is upon us, so uh, you're oh, gonna wanna. Up.
1: This goes up in November, Jessica. God
0: damn it. That's right. Damn it. Anyway, spooky season just
1: <laughs> spills over to November. <laughs> really, it's just an all-year I mean, well, yeah. You know, for the people listening to this podcast, I'm sure you're into it. Okay. Yeah. But no, and we have th- some
0: really awesome merch.
1: I'm going to say my merch item of the moment got to be the cold-to-the-touch hoodie, which It is, is mine, too. Yeah, because it's, it, it's getting colder out right now. And it's such a beautiful hoodie.
0: It really is. And... Honestly, my all-time favorite shirt was our very –
1: it was one of our first ones, right? Was the uh, – The Curiosity Cabinet.
0: Yes. It's just yeah. so – like, even if it's not attached to uh, – saying this, even if it's not attached to our podcast, it's just an
1: awesome shirt that if I were to yes. see it at
0: Target, I would
1: buy it. Yes. I have friends that wear it, and I I don't know if they listen to the podcast. <laughs>
0: They're, They're just, just like, I the like the shirt. shirt. I'm like, okay, great.
1: Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So
0: so check them out. Rooster Teeth store. Mm-hmm. It's all in there.
1: And – uh We'll be back next week with the moment we've all been waiting for. Oh my God. The Blob in Review. Until then, Blob bye, Jessica. <laughs>
2: blob bye, Elise. <laughs>